Love transforms. This is a theme that the staff and I are working on this year, Love Transforms, and that's the name of my sermon today. I want to tell you that sometime after the Babylonians conquered the kingdom of Israel, in about 721 BCE, which means the Christian era before Jesus was born, some historians say that the Samaritans became a distinct ethnic group and a distinct religious community. The records of Sargon of Assyria, who's a Babylonian historian, says that there were 27,000 inhabitants of the former kingdom deported and they were Samaritans. Now, Jewish tradition affirms this deportation, but Jewish tradition says actually there's a different story about the origin of the Samaritans. Those people are called Kuthim, um, and they show up in the stories of Josephus, who's a famous uh, a Jewish uh, historian, and that the people of Israel were separated from the Assyrians, and that the Samaritans and the Jews had a different trajectory in this whole process. Now that's what they say. But what the Samaritans say, the Samaritans say they were always the Jewish people. They were always descending from Joseph. They were always in the same kingdom as the Jews. So, who writes the history gets to tell the story. What I'm trying to say is nobody really quite knows who the Samaritans are. Not really. The Samaritans think that they belong in the kingdom of the Jews. The Jews don't think they do. And Jesus picks a Samaritan to illustrate what it means to love. So, April reads us up into um, hear this and you will live, do this and you will live. But, of course, the rich young ruler said, well, Who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? And as a young Christian person, I learned this story, and I think it's one of those stories that's like in the whole corpus of America. Everybody knows the story of the Good Samaritan, right? What happens? There's a sick man along the road, laying there along the road, bleeding to death. And a priest walks by and sees the sick man on the road, looks at the sick man on the road, leaves the sick man on the road. Because to touch that sick person was to become unclean, and the priest couldn't risk becoming unclean. The story goes that a Levite was walking along the way. That would be somebody who was like a lay leader, let's say, in the church. The Levite walks along, sees the sick man, looks at the sick man, leaves him lying along the side of the road, because he also couldn't risk touching the sick person and becoming unclean. This is Jesus' people, um, an Afro-Semitic people, a mixed-race people, a Jewish people, a Jewish people, living in a time of occupation, a marginalized people. So anything that one did to risk status or cleanliness just put you even more on the margins, right? So Jesus says, the Samaritans. A Samaritan walked by, saw the sick man, looked at the sick man. What did he do? Picked up the sick man, put him on his donkey or his horse or in his Tesla something, took him off to a hotel and in an infirmary, checked him in, paid the bill, made sure that he got well. The Samaritan did this. And when I was a little Christian young person learning this, I thought, oh, Okay, the behavior. 
The behavior of the Samaritan is the story that Jesus is telling to make us understand love, right? Love that is willing to risk status. Love that is willing to risk being unclean. Love that is willing to go to the edges of what is culturally and socially acceptable and do the risky thing, the, the right thing, the slightly crazy thing. Some of you who know me have heard me tell the story of the Canadian woman who, when I had a car accident, treated me like with so much love, right? Took me from the hospital to the hotel, paid my bill, checked me in, gave me money, fed me. She acted like the Good Samaritan. And I'm like, I got this. The behavior that goes to the edge is what love looks like. But the more I think about this text and the older I get, the more I concentrate on this text, I think, well, actually, there's more to it than the behavior of this person. The, the question is, why does Jesus, a Semite, you know, why does Jesus, a Jew, why does Jesus pick the Samaritan as the example of the good person? I think it's not the behavior only, but I think it's the identity of the one who did the doing. It's the identity of the one who did the doing. You heard all this history stuff I laid on you, probably more than you wanted to know. But these Samaritans were not, were not perceived by the Jews as Jewish people. The Samaritans were not seen by the Jews as their people at all. Not a shared culture, not a shared history, not a shared language, not a shared patriarch, not a shared understanding of what it means to be faithful. The Jews who were marginalized by the Romans marginalized the Samaritans in their own midst. In other words, this is the despised ones despising somebody else. I'm seeing some heads nod. Jesus, Yeshua, Joseph's boy, Mary's boy, Jewish boy, rabbi, picks an other, a hated, rejected other, to say, this is what love looks like. I'm fascinated now that Jesus, who is on the edge, takes us further to the edge, almost off the page, to make a hero out of this one who nobody would have expected to show up in one of Jesus' stories let alone show up in one of Jesus' synagogues, or let alone show up in the midst of Jewish culture because they didn't belong. Y'all with me? So now, at not so young, I'm thinking Jesus' teaching is more radical than I thought before. He isn't just inviting us to go to the edge and love, do the risky thing, the hard thing, you know, the sacrificial thing, the difficult thing. Actually, he's saying, everybody you thought was your neighbor, I'm pushing you outside your comfort zone. Your neighbor isn't just the people who belong to the house of Abraham. Your neighbor isn't just the ones who belong because they were part of Joseph's tribe or these two tribes. No, your neighbor is these mixed up weird ones. These strange ones, these other ones, these ones who are not ethnically pure. 
these ones who are not socially acceptable, these ones who are not like you at all. That's what love looks like. Huh. So I've been on the road. I just did a trip to Dallas. It was my last speaking gig for a minute. I don't go in again until March. Thank you, Jesus. But I've been doing what I was feeling called to do, doing what the board is sending me to do, going out to take some radical, crazy love talk out in the world. And I've been playfully saying, and I don't want to insult you when I say it, but I've been playfully saying I've been on the nice white people tour. Um, <laughs> the nice white people asking Jackie to come about, talk about race tour. Hi, hello. Jackie, will you come talk to us about race? Yes, who are you nice white people? Oh, we're the Unitarian nice white people. Okay, I'll come and talk to you about race. Huh? Hello, Jackie, will you come talk to us about race? Yes, and who are you? We're the red letter Christians, the evangelical white people in Texas. Would you come talk to us about race? I'm happy to come and talk to you about race. I've been talking to yoga white people. I've been talking to saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost white people. I've been talking about race everywhere. And in Dallas, amen. Amen. And I, you know, and I'm, I'm asked to come because I'm the multiracial black girl. Come on, right? I'm, you know, I'm in the multiracial church and I'm in the multiracial marriage. And so that puts me on the border, right? And I'm happy. I mean, thrilled to be on the border. Feels like some kind of gift you have. This week when I was down in Texas, it was a multiracial group of people, Christian people, red letter Christian people, who believe that the words of Jesus, the red letter words in the King James Bible, that those are the ones that we really need to follow. And it was amazing. And I was thinking about this talk and I was ready to do the talk and I thought, all right, obviously they want me to talk about race. I got that. But I felt like God was pushing me to push and to not just talk about race, but to also talk about sexuality and gender performance And to also talk about faith. Now, when I got to the sexuality and gender performance, I was followed by this lovely young man named Austin who did a talk about trans. I was like, wow, Austin and Jackie, we got it. You know, pushing like all of the people belong to God, no matter who we love, no matter how we look, no matter how we identify. And I think they were coming with me. They were coming with me. But when I got to the faith thing, we, 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 we had to walk a little bit, yeah, little, little riskier walk. Because this is the red letter Christians. Not the red letter interfaith people, but the red letter Christians. And I'm saying, if we're called to love our neighbor, and if the Samaritan is the one that God lifts up, in the words of Jesus Christ as our neighbor, can we imagine that God is speaking more than one language? In other words, can we imagine that the neighbor we're also called to love is the neighbor who isn't Christian at all? And I got some head nods and I got some, you know, arms folded, you know, the body language was like, what? And I just was like, let's just push this now because the Samaritan is not a Jew, period. And the Jewish Jesus says, look at my dude right here. Let me let you see what I mean by love. So if that's true in that context, then I'm asking then as a Christian pastor, I think I have to be preaching the gospel of God's love, which is more than Christian, which is beyond Christian, which is outside of the bounds of church and inside the bounds of love. 
and it makes eyebrows raise. But I think it's faithful to what the book is saying. I think we are to imagine that God has more than one vocabulary, like my choreographers. Some are Alvin Ailey-esque and, you know, some are, I don't know, Martha Graham-esque and, you know what I'm saying? Somebody's more tapish. What if God has more than one vocabulary? What if the God of Jesus Christ, who is also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has a vocabulary for Christians to pull us close and a vocabulary for Muslims to pull them close and a vocabulary for Jews and Buddhists to pull them close because more than anything, what she wants is everybody close. What if that's true? What if that's true? What if it's true that loving our neighbor actually means honoring that God can speak to them too without us converting them? What if? What if she's so super califragilistic, amazing, that she don't need no missionaries unless it means love is love is love. Yes. And that God will use all the things, the teaching, the holding, the loving, the hospital building, the sharing of stories, the conversations, the breaking of bread. What if she can use all of that to touch her heart and pull them into the reign of God? Just like the conflict in the, in the Galatian community. Do you have to be circumcised first to become a Christian? The conflict is, do I have to go through our hoop to get to God? Oh, I was on the dangerous territory right there. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering if the Jewish one, lifting up the Samaritan one, wasn't also inviting us to break down some of the tribalism, some of the, some of the boundaries some of the walls, some of the things that will cause us to kill each other, to convert each other, the, the, the crusades to make Muslims into Christians, the pogroms, the Holocaust to turn Jews into nothingness, the snatching of bodies, the white supremacist entrenched crap of our nation that's wrapped up in Christianity. What if the Jewish rabbi, Jesus, who happens to be my Lord and Savior, also is just saying, enough, enough, enough of the walls. What about love? Can love transform us to a people who find a way to build bridges as opposed to codes of difference that make us die, actually, in the end? What if? My business isn't how God talks to you, but how God talks to me. And how I can collaborate with you to make a whole and healed world. What if that's what it is? I know some of you are gonna be like, then that's not a Christian church. Hmm? <laughs> or it's a Jesus church because Jesus wasn't a Christian anyway. I don't know. I'm asking you to interrogate that with me. I'm asking you to be with me on, on it, on a journey. I don't have all the answers, but I know this. 
I know that we are in a hot, hot mess. And I know that tribalism is causing more heat. Like, you are not my people. You do not pass my test. You do not have the eight things in common with me, therefore I can't work with you. I know that I'm going to get hate speech because of the picture of me and Linda Sorsor in the Washington Post. I know I'm going to get, how are you friends with Linda when she didn't renounce Farrakhan? Well, okay, I don't know if she renounced Farrakhan or not. I don't believe Mr. Farrakhan's anti-Semitism is, is, is my jam. I, I just think that's wrong, right? Like, I also think that anti-Islamic, full anti-Islamic sentiment is not my jam. That's wrong. Right? It's funny, the, the Buddhists get, nobody's trying to be anti-Buddhist, but we're like, we're so, somewhere somebody's anti-Christian and wants to turn a plane into a bomb, and somewhere somebody's anti-Semitic and saw it on a website and wants to kill people in their sanctuary, in their safe synagogue, and somewhere somebody else is anti-Muslim and wants to burn a woman's hijab. Are you kidding me? No. Enough for that. Enough of that. So I'm not going to renounce Linda Sarsour because she will walk from Staten Island to Washington, D.C. to stand up for the black power of black lives. I'm not going to do that. And I don't agree with everything she says, that we're friends. I don't, we're not married or like in lockstep. I don't know. But I know that I trust that she's going to show up and I'm going to show up when this comes for justice. I'm not going to renounce my friend Sharon Browse, who's a rabbi in LA, who's a Zionist. Hi, Sharon. I don't know. <laughs> she, she's, she's deeply concerned about Israel having a homeland, but she also believes Palestine should have one too. And that's the place we can kick it, right? I'm not going to renounce my friend Valerie Kaur, who's the most loving person on the planet who does not believe in God at all, who was tortured by Christians in her California town of Fresno because she was a sick, S-I-K-H, right? And didn't believe in God and wasn't gonna go to hell and was gonna burn in hell because she was a black dog, non-Christian. And she doesn't renounce me with my Christian self even though she's been badly wounded by Christians. Are y'all tracking? Yeah. I'm asking you to come on a journey with me. I'm not saying renounce all your childhood faith. I'm saying, what if love is supposed to transform us to an identity that's above our faith? What if love is supposed to transform us to an identity called child of God? Child of love. What if love, period, is the religion of the future? What if we're early adapters and we are finding our way into a funnel called love is love is love is love is love. And all the vocabularies that get us to love are good vocabularies. And the ones that don't, that. If a vocabulary gets you shooting people, if your pro-life posture makes you want to kill an abortion doctor, if your anti-Semitism gets you no, 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 that's not what it's about. It's a hot mess time and we need allies. We need a movement of love and justice that finds the Venn diagram where we can overlap and relate. That's what we need. That's what we need. 
Ain't nobody got time to figure out what the creed is that they said. And what the, come on, come on, middle family. Now I'm kind of preaching to the choir, although some of your eyebrows are raised and I can see them. It's okay, I'm with you. I see your eyebrows raised and I raise mine back. <laughs> so I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but you're about to go home on Thanksgiving holiday and you're about to hang out with people who don't understand what I'm talking about. And, and you might not even be 100% convinced, but I want you to be ready to say that, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, love God with all you have. Jesus used a non-Jew to make a Jewish point. A non-Jew to make a Jewish point that we've adopted as Christian. Love God, love neighbor, love self. Everything else is commentary. Everything else is commentary. Let's interrogate the life we live through the lens of love. That's what will transform us. That is what will heal our world. And I'm counting on us to do it. It's too stank. It's too ugly. It's too violent. It's horrifying. And we are not going to have it, are we? Not on our watch. Amen. Amen. Blessings to you, and you're going to join an invitation to join the movement.